0: Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. The wait is over, the madness is here, the men's team is in, the women's team is dancing, and it's finally that time, the best time of the year. I'm Eugene Repay, he's Chris Danzial and she is Catherine Ryan. Catherine, how are you doing today?
1: Good, how are you guys? Thanks for having me on again.
0: Yeah, we were glad you were able to squeeze us in in your busy schedule and have you back on the show. We're going to talk a lot of Selection Sunday, Big East Tournament, you were there repping view hoops got a few nice pictures in on the garden floor it looked like a great time
1: yeah i mean the trick is when you cover those things is just to act like you know where you're going don't slow down and have anyone stop you and you can basically go wherever you'd like as long as you're wearing a press credential
0: and that is what i learned too if there's the <laughs> a sign just take it just just do whatever you want and if, if someone stops you just show your press credential and then hopefully they'll let you slide yep So, in this episode of the State of Nova Nation, it's kind of been a while. I guess it's been almost a week or just over a week since our last episode. We just brought Catherine on to help us dissect, digest, and talk about the Big East tournament selection Sunday. So, Villanova wins another Big East tournament title, third in four years, back to back. How do you think this one stacked up compared to last season's run?
1: It's tough to say. I would say last year, just putting myself in a pre Wisconsin mindset you know you were sort of of the opinion that Villanova had gotten Josh Hart back this was the year we were going to get you know a repeat going the the team was as strong as the year before if not stronger and when we won the Big East the game just like this year was a was a tight game with Seton Hall and you just sort of felt like we had the momentum going in the right direction we weren't going to get tripped up again and then you ended up sort of falling back into the same trap we were all too very used to prior to the national championship. So, I think for this year, it was a little more, I guess I'll say unpredictable, because I think the team had sort of, you know, as much as a top five team could stumble, was sort of stumbling towards the end of February. We had a tough road trip towards the end of the season. It, the team wasn't looking as sharp as they, you know, as we were used to seeing. And they were sort of showing some weaknesses, some cracks. They were looking a little bit mortal. So, going into the tournament, you really weren't sure what to expect. And there was, I think, a little bit of, nerves over whether this was just going to sort of further highlight problems that we had now been made aware of, or whether the team would get back on track going into Selection Sunday and, you know, the start of the tournament. So I think the Big East tournament in general this year I, I don't think it's so much about you know getting the back-to-back titles or the third title in four years. I think it's more about just the optimism around the team now heading into the tournament because I think you felt people sort of be a little bit relieved at seeing everything kind of go back to normal. They were hitting on all cylinders. Things that we were used to seeing had come back. People were getting their shots back, things like that. So I think it's it's a great sign heading into March. But I would say the the general excitement is more about that as opposed to the, the tournament champions. But that of course is is always exciting, and it just speaks to the level of uh, play and consistency that the program's had over the past few years. Yeah,
2: Catherine, I kind of felt the same way. The momentum that Villanova is bringing into March now is uh, kind of unparalleled. And it's it's kind of weird to say that because, yeah, we won the biggest tournament last year and we won it in 2015, both followed up with around of 32 losses. But those games, and, and Jay kind of mentioned it in, in his post game, I believe, that those games were kind of like in in the bag by like middle of the second half at the absolute latest. You know, it was kind of all business, shake hands, everyone move on with their lives. But at the end of this game, at the end of the Providence game, everyone was jumping up and down, like hugging each other, getting all real hyped, kind of like how Seton Hall reacted after they beat Villanova in 2016. I wanted to see that, actually. I, I didn't want, you know, everyone kind of gets on the whole, like, let's just take care of business and worry about the NCAAs. And you know what? That's fine. I get that. I understand that mindset. But at the same time, I'd like to see a little excitement, a little flair to a victory, you know, because I feel like it gives this team more momentum. It doesn't kind of fall back into that trap, like you were saying earlier, that you know they can just kind of beat these teams and just go on and just go through the motions. I, I feel like this gives them a little bit more mo- momentum going into March or the tournament.
1: Yeah, and I think also you you don't really see it, I guess, with the players just because Villanova is always you know so buttoned up when it comes to things like that. But I really do think that the players and Jay uh, took it personally not winning the regular season title. I think that probably means more to them as a program just to to be able to say you're the top dog in the Big East over you know the course of an entire conference season and at the end of the day it's, it's not a huge deal but I do think that that sort of put a little bit of a chip on their shoulder going into the Big East tournament just sort of of the mindset we're not the one seed I mean they hadn't been a one seed you know since they won the national championship in, in March Madness I mean they'd been heralded as the class of the Big East for the past you know five years that I think going in Still pretty much favored. I think they were pretty much favored in every tournament game and to win the whole thing. But I still think you sort of had people talking about Xavier. Xavier's going to be a one seed in the Big East tournament. They might be a one seed in the tournament. Are they the class of the Big East? Did they, you know, knock down the king? Is Villanova, you know, now too? I, I think that. Actually affected the players and affected the program. So I think going forward, they sort of had a mindset to to kind of reestablish themselves. Obviously, the the Xavier games themselves haven't been close, but to just sort of reestablish themselves, you know, as the season wound down and, and go back into March Madness as the class of the Big East.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think you heard some of the questions that some of the reporters were asking Jay at the press conferences. Like, oh, what was happening with your team in February? There was this rough stretch where you guys lost three games coming down towards into the postseason. What was it about your team? Were you you guys in a funk? And I don't think it was that. I mean, we know that it was such a difficult stretch and a lot of those games were on the road. But at the same time, you know, it's March. I think this team really wanted to show, like, look, we might be the two seed coming into this tournament. We didn't win the regular season title, but this is still our conference. And, yeah, They definitely came in with that chip in their shoulder, and they took care of business, starting with that Marquette game and then Butler. What were your takeaways from both of those games?
1: I think it's it's funny, and I think I mentioned it last time I was on the podcast with the Gonzaga game. Uh, When you watch the game, the types of games where Villanova's offense is so impressive, it sort of makes the team look so much better as a whole because I came home from both of those games thinking, wow, you know, our defense looked great. I I felt like we were getting all these turnovers and playing great defense and, you know, holding – you know, holding – basically marquee players that we were playing against in check, And when I came home and looked at the numbers, it wasn't necessarily that Villanova's defense was, you know, significantly better than it's been in the past. It's been trending upward, I would say, pretty much um, the last maybe two or three weeks. But I mean, when I went back and looked, I mean, we held Marquette and Butler to I think over 10 points lower than their season average. And the defense was just subtle. There weren't the sort of flashy defensive numbers. When you went back and look at the games as a a whole, you really felt that Villanova in, in general had put forward a really strong defensive effort, but it made it look easy because the shots were falling. I mean. I think the three games in general, we shot, you know, almost 44% from three, we shot over 50% from three against Marquette, which is just unreal, and and 50% from the floor in all three of those games. And I just think like when the offense is clicking like that, you know, even an average defensive effort looks impressive, because you know, the margin of victory is 20 points. So I think in general, everything's really trending upward and and the offense has kind of returned back to where it was in the beginning of the year, but now the defense is coming along and they're slowly rising in Ken Palm. You you slowly see them wearing teams down as the games go along. And if that can even, you know, be accompanied by an average offensive performance, which at least for the past three games, we haven't really seen, everything's been pretty much a top level. I don't really see a lot of teams being able to keep up with Villanova.
2: Yeah, Catherine, I'm kind of happy you brought up the defense because uh, to me, that was probably the most impressive for the first two games. I mean, obviously, the offense was clicking, like you said. But to me, like when, when Villanova got out to that 19-0 run to start the game against Butler, the fact that, that they scored 19 was impressive. But to me, the more impressive fact was they held them to zero throughout, throughout that stretch. And I, I think I, I want to believe that the defense is completely turning around now. It's really getting back to where it, it should be, where I expected it to be at the beginning of the year. And I like how you, fa- the fact that you brought up the Kenpon rankings because literally after every game, I was just making okay. sure that they were climbing up one little spot and getting that adjusted efficiency up just a bit. But yes, the defense was a big standout to me in those games. Obviously the offense and the first two games, I really had no complaints whatsoever. And even in the Providence game, when I was there, it, it didn't feel like they, they took that many threes and it didn't feel like they missed that many threes, like offensively, because I... I felt that the offense was a little subpar but like the defense they got the stops when they needed to I, they held Cartwright at the uh, last second shot you had omari and, and bridges getting a hand in his face to kind of uh, make him adjust the shot midair and force overtime and then obviously we took it away from there so i, I absolutely agree that the defense was able to finally turn a corner a bit and hopefully this continues into the tournament
0: yeah i think the other big thing too with the defense is that you see that the energy that it creates is so contagious like for example in that butler run yeah, it was impressive that they got off to a 19-0 start. But like you said, the defense was big. Butler didn't even get on the board for the first five and a half minutes. And you could see the guys were just really feeding off of the way that they were able to shut it down. And that just carried over to all the other facets of the game. And then even the players that were coming in, too. They, they saw this – there was just this contagious energy that was just so infectious amongst all the different Wildcats out there.
1: And I think, like, when you go back and look at the games, you you can – you know, highlight people love to do it. Highlight you know the defensive lapses, or you know someone misses a pick and roll, someone gets backdoored, whatever it is. But I think we're now reaching the point where you can look at the defense as a whole uh, over the course of the game and see that it's working. And you may not be able to isolate great defensive plays, and maybe um, the other hand you're you're isolating some lapses. But in general, I've just been more pleased with the defensive as a defensive effort as a whole over 40 minutes. And when you look at the numbers at the end of the game and you compare. Like I looked it up, um, Providence was averaging 73 points a game. We held them to 66, including an in overtime. I mean that that's just great. And going forward, if, if Villanova can at least keep keep these teams to where we expect them to be and not get lit up, then the offense can just take it from there. And and it's similar to a lot of those teams in the past. People always cite Duke 2015. That Duke didn't have a really great defense going into the tournament. It sort of turned it up in the tournament. They had one of you know, the greatest defensive performances in the tournament and I don't think Villanova will have that but the reality is, is that it doesn't have to have an all-world defense because it has an all-world offense but if it can keep teams to you know basically where we expect them to be and we can plan according to that then you know I think that's all you need going to the tournament
0: yeah and those first two games that Villanova played you saw the marquee guys on the other team like Coward and Rousey you look at them that Marquette game they both scored 20 points each but it doesn't even feel like that because in the second half they barely did anything and they couldn't get into a group In the Butler game, Keelan Martin, Kamar Baldwin, two guys that notoriously seemed to give us a hard time, they weren't able to get it going. And then you have guys like Paul Jorgensen, who shot the lights out at Hinkle Fieldhouse against us. He was two for eight the whole game. And looking at the defense as a whole, like you said, you definitely see that this team is going places, and it's definitely a lot better than what it was before. So going into that championship game, I'm sure a lot of us wanted to see one versus two Hasn't happened since 2004. I think Chris and I, we looked it up. I think the last time a Big East tournament final had 1-2, it was 4 yeah.
2: It was 0-4. It was Pitt and UConn.
0: Okay. Yeah. So we didn't get to get that fun time at the Garden. Unfortunately, Xavier lost. How impressed were you guys with Providence going into this tournament and making some noise going into the championship game?
1: So I'll start by saying that I don't think Xavier would have been able to come with the presence and absolute pandemonium i'll say that's a nice word that providence brought (laughs) to the garden for that game i am having trouble remembering i mean seton hall that's what it reminded me of a seton hall type game with just the Mm -hmm. the energy and the amount of people there that were not rooting for villanova to be honest that's something at the garden that's not something i'm used (laughs) to we typically uh we typically travel better than everyone that we play at the garden, including St. John's. So it was a little surprising to see that many Providence fans there. And I think that just speaks to uh hopefully I mean the locality of the team. Xavier would have had a, a tougher time getting there. But even when Providence played Xavier, you felt that the Providence fans had really come out and Xavier was, you know, having trouble in that game with just how loud and energetic those fans were being. So that was something I wasn't necessarily expecting when I knew that we were gonna be playing Providence. But in general, I think playing Xavier again might have been might have been fun, but the reality is, is that Providence has played us closer this year than Xavier has. So Xavier might have been the more marquee game, but in terms of prepping us for March or, you know, giving us a little bit of a test and and testing Jay Wright, being able to adjust in game, testing, uh, uh, testing us to adjust in game if shots weren't going to fall, if it was closer than we thought, if, you know, had to go to overtime. I think Providence actually provided us with Pretty much the best case scenario there you had a physical game you had a well-coached team you had a team that was keeping up with us you had us having to make in-game adjustments you had us having to play tough defense providence plays tough defense i mean basically everything you could have wanted in a championship game to sort of send you off into the tournament i think that's what we ended up getting and xavier has struggled with us those games haven't been competitive i'm not sure exactly why but i'm not sure villanova would have gained much from you know another 20-point victory over xavier and even if that game had been close I don't think the energy and the sort of, it was almost like a hostile crowd for a lot of the game. Uh, I had said uh, earlier today that when Cartwright hit that like fadeaway jumper towards the end of the game, that that had been the loudest I think I had heard the guard in that entire tournament. And I just think that that's a much better environment for Villanova to sort of have in the back of their mind as they go into the tournament.
2: Yeah, Catherine, building on your, your Providence fan point, I was really not expecting that many fans for them at all. I, I I don't know what it was. I, I guess it's because they're more local, but I, I really wanted Xavier Villanova because of the marquee matchup, one versus two, great for the conference, all that stuff. But the fact that Providence brought up, brought all those fans in was, was pretty impressive. And I, I was glad for the environment because it did remind me of a Seton Hall game, reminded me of that 2016 final. That was probably one of the best basketball games I've ever been to, if not the best. But they Providence fans, man, they they are annoying. They- <laughs> I, 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 I always liked Providence too. And like, I kept seeing going in this game, like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to really enjoy this game. Like, I don't really hate Providence. It's going to be hard to get into. And then as the game went on and, and on, and I'm just like, all right, these guys got to gotta shut up. They don't know what they're talking about. Like, they're very, very big whiners. I don't know. Probably a Boston thing. Probably New England.
1: <laughs> they, but, they definitely have a, an edge to them, which I yes. wasn't really aware of because I haven't really been to many competitive games between Villanova and Providence. But, there's definitely sort of I mentioned it to someone, and I don't know if it's because they consider themselves maybe a hockey school, but there's definitely that like sort of hooliganism yeah. type of thing. I, I mm-hmm. mean, a couple of friends of mine said when they were even trying to get into the, into Madison Square Garden. Providence fans were just like hooting and hollering and, and mobs of them were coming out of the train station and just being loud. And that was before even getting into Madison Square Garden. So, I mean, they were amped for that game from the beginning. And I don't think the Villanova fans there were even expecting that because you definitely you definitely saw that it took a little bit for the Nova fans probably to, to get to that level of inebriation to start mm-hmm. making it. Much noise. But it definitely during the announcements, I was like, this is bad. Yeah. Like this is all Providence. And the yeah. Providence fans were booing everything Villanova related. They booed Father Peter. They booed a priest. Yeah, they did.
2: Yeah, they, did. they booed
1: Kyle Lowry. I mean, they booed everything. Yeah. And yeah, uh did. I mean I appreciate the energy, but you know, I definitely Villanova's gonna have to be prepared for that going forward because we can't we can't lose MSG as our pavilion yeah. east.
2: That's for sure. I mean it definitely did bring a great energy to the game though. But I feel that that their fans kind of helped them along a little bit. This game was full of runs. It was like early on, it was like nine zero run, nine zero run, and then ten zero run, ten zero run. It was matched run for run matched each time, and I I thought that was that was pretty good. Like I was like, all right, this is actually going to be a good game. And the problem is, was able to build on it. And then we finally were able to get a lead, and then we kind of let that slip. I, I, I didn't really understand what was going on at first. I was like, "All yeah. right, guys, like, let's uh, let's calm down a bit." And, but we were able to obviously recover in overtime. And I, I thought in overtime, obviously Bridges, clutch three off the Jalen mishandle. I mean, what what else can be said about Bridges? He hit the two clutch threes in overtime, and then but Jalen, we got Jalen
1: I, dunk our favorite got, play. We don't got got get to Jalen, see it a lot,
2: but that's true to bring down the house, basically <laughs> sealed the game up. That was that was phenomenal. And then the
1: weird Dante. Layup, yeah, jump, almost stuffed by the rim. I, was like, I gotta go up. Gotta go up a little stronger with that.
2: Yeah, I know. It was like gotta uh, clear the rim. Please, just 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 put it in the basket. At this point, it doesn't really matter <laughs> how you do it. Just do it. Uh, after it's the, funny the, though because the the you
1: had. we were talking about with the players before where you were like they, you know, after the game, um, they were so excited to win and then you saw that energy and that sort of emotion come out and and that's definitely a product of the type of game it was. So I think that mm-hmm. going forward. Um, that's a good thing for them to to be able to call on if they find themselves in a similar situation in the tournament.
0: Yeah, what would you guys say that the fan split was like fifty-five, forty-five Nova? Like it was definitely uh, pretty close. They
1: were they were louder than Nova fans. So I, yeah. I that's I think objectively a fact. So I'm not really sure what the numbers were, but where I was sitting, it felt like giant pockets of them. I don't know if they if they all came together, if they bought their tickets yeah. in groups, but giant pockets and you know, no Nova fans to be seen. So I don't know but our
2: fan base isn't exactly known for being the loudest either so (laughs) we could have had them outnumbered and it would probably would have been a a little skewed voice-wise anyway but I I felt that a lot of where I was sitting there was a lot of Nova fans with a good amount of Providence fans but I felt like the Providence fans are all like there was like upper deck they kind of dominated the entire upper deck I felt like
1: there's also this like it just sort of happens. It's like this human nature where if, if your team's better and you feel like they're going to pull away, you don't necessarily get as obnoxious and up in people's faces when you feel like at the end it's you know it's going to be a 15-point game. And I think Nova fans felt that that might be what, what was going to happen. I think that's what they were expecting. I think the spread was like 12, 11, or 12.
2: 13 and a half, actually. 13 and a half, yeah. yeah. So I,
1: I think people thought it wasn't going to be close. So in the terms right. of the Providence fans being rowdy in the first half, it's more of like let them have their fun you mm-hmm. know, this isn't even going to be close. And then by the time the Nova fans were like, oh, wait, shit, we've just given up a night we're <laughs> run. We're going to overtime. Uh, right. By that point, Providence had basically been dominating the entire game.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right. I, I feel that, like, underdog fans, they get more into it, that, at least at first. And, like, if you're, like, a fan of a favorite, like, who you just expect the coaster to coast through the game, you kind of wait, mm-hmm. sit back. But then, like, but once, once overtime and, like, the end of the second half kicked in, I, I felt like we were
0: just mm-hmm. as loud. I, I think we definitely definitely it when
1: Bridges hit that three off the Jalen fumble that yeah. was incredible
0: yeah that was good I will say though I, f- I did feel that that 13.5 point spread was a little heinous I thought that I don't know Providence usually always gives us a hard time in the biggest tournament at least since conference realignment they have
1: mm-hmm. yeah I don't know maybe they thought that they'd have nothing left in the tank uh after two straight overtimes and three mm-hmm. straight overtimes after our game was over but uh yeah I would have never put it that far and also I just feel like the type of game it was and what and Providence's style of play those past two games and really like going down and coming back. I mean, even if the Villanova had been up by 13, Providence had been showing that they can close the gap real quickly.
0: I don't know exactly how you feel. I mean, I think I have a guess. I don't know if you're on the Xavier bandwagon, but I agree with you in that. I was definitely happy that Providence won. I feel like they, Place, they definitely place a lot tougher. But just in general, I just haven't really been all that sold on Xavier. I always just felt like they've just get, gotten lucky. Or they mm-hmm. just seem to just get the bounces going their way at the very end when it matters most. But I totally fell in love with Kyron Cartwright. I thought just so much swagger. Like, so he was just so clutch coming in. And he was great in that championship game. But let's talk about the real hard-hitting stuff. Ed Cooley's pants. What did you guys think of that when it happened?
1: I thought he either sat in something or was sweating through his pants. It never even occurred to me that he would have actually ripped his pants because I'm not really sure what movements he was doing where um, the whole seat of his pants would have ripped open. Once I saw on Twitter that he was covering a rip in his pants, it became almost even funnier. But I've never seen anything like that. I've... I'm curious to know when it happened. I'm surprised no one's gone over the game footage and sort of highlighted that in in GIF form when it actually ripped. But yeah, and then the only thing better was the questions that Jay had to field at the press conference about being someone into fashion and what would he have done had he ripped his pants open. Jay didn't seem to have an answer. He said he probably would have covered it with his coat. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably, if I were a head coach, that's got to be top five worst nightmares, some sort of wardrobe malfunction.
0: (laughs) Championship game sold-out arena, everyone just sees ripped pants. Yeah, I mean, the
1: curious part to me is that nobody, he didn't have a spare pair of pants. There there was nothing else to put on, even sweats. so he wears this, like, weird towel skirt. And then that just seemed like a strange way to handle it. Then again, I don't know when it ripped, so it's hard for me to judge, but it seems like I would have tried to come up with a better solution. Maybe one that's less likely to go viral.
0: I had no idea it ripped in the first place until Chris Lane, our fellow View Hoopster pointed out on Twitter, like, oh, I think he has swamp ass. And I looked over, (laughs) and I was like, oh, my God, he is wearing a towel. Why is he wearing a towel over his pants? And then it just started floating around media Road that he apparently ripped his pants. I would like to know what happened. I definitely didn't see it.
1: Maybe a cover-up. Maybe they didn't even rip. It's a cover-up for something else. (laughs) He
0: he was hoping to distract Jay, and unfortunately it didn't work because apparently he didn't notice.
1: He tweeted today, uh, Ed Cooley tweeted that he was prepping for, uh, who are they playing, Texas A&M. Prepping for Texas A and M, uh, and he was took a fit photo in his office, and he's wearing the towel again. So I think it's now part of his wardrobe.
2: It's like the the Georgia State coach with the uh, when he had the broken leg, he had the little chair he had. <laughs> the scooter. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, now it's just like it's just, it's just, just the, the
1: staple. Not a towel, but now I wear it on my waist. Tark <laughs> <laughs> the shark.
0: So Wildcats win the biggest tournament. Mikael Bridges is named most outstanding player of the tournament. In my opinion, probably could have gone to him or Brunson, but when you look at the way that Bridges played in overtime, you definitely have to give it to him. Gets the trophy, goes back to locker room, and it's broken. <laughs> How do you think it happened?
1: Good question. How do I think it happened? Whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, I don't know. Whoa, whoa, someone
1: whoa. mistook it for a loose ball and dove into a set of chairs?
0: The Villanova way. The that can't
1: way. happen enough. Yep.
2: Great. Wait, wait! The trophy broke. I
0: yeah, the trophy. This. Yeah, the the trophy. The player that was on the trophy literally broke off at like its
1: legs. At its hand, its hand broke off.
0: Oh, oh! I, I saw the whole thing. Like fall no, apart.
1: I'm making. I'm kidding. It's oh, uh, <laughs> oh hand.
0: my god! Wow, that's great.
1: <laughs> You're get your foot right over <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's funny was that uh, when we were in the locker room post game, Mikhail was looking for the trophy and no one seemed to know where it went.
1: <laughs> well, I saw so, Tim Delaney took a bunch of pictures with it and was putting it on his Instagram, so I think <laughs> uh, I think it was making the uh, round.
0: Sold them out. That, that yeah, it was probably him, but hopefully they get it fixed. Put on some super glue.
1: I did hear them like screaming for a student manager to come over hurry and fix it because they didn't want him to see it. <laughs> Drama behind the scenes.
2: I was just going to ask what you guys thought of uh, the crowd getting the one more year chant when uh, Bridges Ah. was giving his acceptance speech.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure his eyes could roll farther back into (laughs) Uh, it. I think Jay actually said he was kicking him and Brunson both out, so they couldn't come back even if they wanted to. Sometimes I wonder if the Villanova fan base is being sarcastic or just completely oblivious. It's hard for me to tell sometimes. I'm going to hope that was sarcastic, but... Yeah, it's always funny to see the players react to that, especially when it's so obvious.
0: Yeah, uh, you just take one look at the mock drafts, and there's just no way.
1: And there shouldn't be. I mean, it, you're looking at it right now, where he's already graduating. There's absolutely no reason for him to come back. And even if you were going to try to argue that he should come back for a degree, which, based on the year he's had, and based on you know the window for a successful NBA career, it, that would be you know even outrageous argument. But you could you could technically make it. But this, there's just absolutely no reason whatsoever and if he can go out on top and you know Villanova can make a run and and that's what he would I guess need I guess personally he could take as like a victory and walk out I mean he doesn't need to do any more from a playing standpoint to improve his draft stock I think he's rising up the boards and and obviously um, a good performance in a tournament you know maybe a team will take a flyer on him a little bit earlier but he's already going to go top 10 and at this point the only thing he gains by coming back a year is, is either dropping that stock or getting hurt. And there's just no chance that, that anyone would even consider doing that. Um, but it is cool that, you know, both of them will have degrees and, you know, leave Villanova on a high note. Hopefully we make a nice run in the tournament and everyone will have, you know, just incredible memories of their time here.
2: Yeah, with regards to Bridges being a potential lottery pick, they uh, on the broadcast, I ended up finding a replay of the game on YouTube. So I decided to watch a little bit of the end. And Gus Johnson was hyping up the whole Mikael Bridges as a lottery pick thing, which, I mean, obviously deservedly so, but I was just shocked that, you know, they were kind of pitching that narrative. And then the, uh, I believe it was at the end of the game, I think it was immediately after they were asking Jalen about Bridges and the big three in overtime. And he's like, and Jalen's like, yeah, he's a lottery pick. He's a lottery pick. So, I mean, yeah, it's clear as day that he's good as gone. And like you said, there's no need to come back. Your your stock is already as high as it can go. And it's probably going to go when you, it could only go higher based on this.
0: Uh, a potential tournament run so selection sunday comes out and we see that the men's team has secured another one seed they're going to be in the east big shouts out to that and they'll be taking on the winner of liu brooklyn and radford to start this thursday or your guys impressions of the bracket overall Or how about the Selection Sunday show? Please give me all your takes on how the format was this year.
1: All right. So I'll start with the format. Uh, It took me about 10 seconds to realize that it wasn't just my TV that was off with the audio, but that it was actually a problem with the entire show. Mm -hmm. I think I tweeted out whether anybody was having audio problems and immediately like 50 people responded. So that was hysterical in its own right. I also like the lights going off at one point when they're interviewing um, Rasmussen. Just a complete... Shit show from a production standpoint, the idea of releasing all of the auto bids first, the ones that everybody knows, and then going through the at large bids alphabetically basically sucked all the drama you know I felt out of it. I had um uh, said earlier on the blog that uh, the two best things about selection Sunday are the drama of who gets in and the reactions from the teams. and I felt like this uh, broadcast effectively killed both of those things with the Drama of the at-large teams. You knew who was going to be who were going to be the controversial teams. I mean, just off the top of your head, you can think: uh, Syracuse, Oklahoma, um, Arizona State. I mean, those teams were, you know, on the bubble. People were wondering if they were going to get in. And doing it alphabetically, I mean, within ten seconds, we had Arizona State up there, and people were like looking at it, being like, "What is it? Is this? Are these the teams that are in? Or are these the teams that are not in? Like, wh- what does this mean?" And as it's going along, you know, they're basically having to announce like we are now in the M's, so you will notice Louisville did not make it, which is just so insane to me that you're actually having to highlight to people that we've now passed teams alphabetically. And they did the same thing with Notre Dame where it got out, you know, to the O's and the P's and whatever. And they're like, you'll notice that we've skipped Notre Dame. And I just felt like that was such a anticlimactic way to do that. And then part of the fun part of watching the bracket reveal by seed is that you sort of know where these bubble teams are going to be. And as you know, the eight, nine, you know, the seven to 10 spots, sort of fill up and your team's not named that's sort of where the drama starts to come in and whether or not they're going to get in and the reactions i just felt that was bizarre i feel like there weren't that many the ones that we did have were on such a delay that we were basically watching them sitting there texting they didn't even know they were on camera so just all in all it just seemed to really be botched and a lot of production errors i would think which i think might be a result of the fact that it wasn't on cbs this year i don't know if that transition to um TBS was a big drop-off in production quality, but some really questionable decisions just on how the format was. And, you know, I'm a big proponent, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I think they managed to take something that would be so simple and such a big hit and just absolutely butcher it.
0: Oh, yeah. It was definitely worse than that one year. When was it? 2015 or 2016, when they decided to extend the Selection Sunday show for more analysis and more takes and predictions. And then – People were so sick of it that they managed to leak the bracket before the show was finished. Yeah. I thought that this Selection Sunday found a way to be worse than that actual year.
2: Yeah, that was 2016, Eugene, and I remember when we were like we're, we went to the Selection Sunday show at the. Oh God, what was what's the name of the Bill Novak room? Connolly yeah. Center. Connolly oh, yeah. Center, right? Yeah, the, at, we went to the Connolly Center. Like, oh well, we're going to be in for long haul because you know the East is probably going to get announced last and whatever, and we expect to be a two C in the East. And then they ended up being the two seed in the South, which was the first region announced. And that, that, that was that was pretty funny. But
1: yeah, and it's funny because like I would like I someone said today on one of the podcasts I was listening to, it might have been uh, I think it was Reegs, Barcel Reegs, And they said something along the lines of like the selection show is a show for people that really follow the sport. And the way that they're doing it lately is catering it to be more entertainment based. And that's not the recipe for success because you have people tuning in that just want to see the teams and where they are and who they're going to be playing. And there is that sort of human interest story. You know, you want to hear it. You want to see the videos of the, you know, bubble teams getting in and that's like part of what makes it entertaining. But the reality is like dragging it out for two or three hours to be, You know, basically this must-see TV is just not possible. And the analysis and the sort of dissection of the bracket is what makes this week so much fun, and there's a place for that. And doing that after the teams are revealed is fine. I mean, I I would watch it. I watched it yesterday. But the reality is that there's a way to reveal the teams sort of up front, which is more entertaining and, and I guess, more to the point and doesn't necessarily frustrate everyone wondering whether or not their team made it.
0: So Villanova being the top seed in the East region – Let's be honest. On a scale from one to I'm booking my tickets for San Antonio. How good should we feel about this region or this bracket?
1: I think overall it's a great uh, draw for Villanova. Uh, It was very refreshing not to see um, Duke-Michigan State as our 8-9 game. So I was very optimistic when I saw that we basically just had two normal teams. Originally I thought it was going to be sort of an underrated high major situation like we had with Wisconsin – uh, I did have sort of a sneaky suspicion that they were going to try to put Alabama or Missouri in that region just for the drama of having potentially Colin Sexton or uh, Michael Porter Jr. playing against Yale and Brunson. I also thought Oklahoma, same exact reasons, would find their way there, but obviously the committee would rather have Trey Young go up against Duke, which I think would be uh, musty television. But as for Villanova's bracket, I think that's great. When you look through it, there isn't really a team that is a matchup nightmare for Villanova. I guess if you go through it chalkwise, you'd think we'd end up playing Purdue. I don't think that they're a matchup nightmare for us. I think Purdue, I think Villanova would um, be very successful against Purdue. I don't think they'd have much of a problem with Haas. I think they'd be able to contain him and Villanova's hitting shots. I don't think Purdue's going to have an answer. I think mostly the question mark that you would look to would be more Texas Tech. Texas Tech was one of the teams, you know, all during the year, people were saying, "Oh, Chris Beard's got this great team. Keenan Allen, it's going to be great." And I think They've sort of slipped a little bit. A three seed seems about right for what they were projected, but a lot of people had them in the final four, you know, earlier this season. So if they can get past even F. Austin, which, and today I heard a bunch of people saying that that was going to be a trendy upset. I'm not sure about that. I think if Villanova ends up fa- facing Texas tech, that could be one of the t- tougher games, but I still think Villanova would make it past there. But if we're going to just go to the second round, um, Virginia Tech Alabama a lot of discussions obviously about Villanova potentially facing Alabama uh I think Virginia Tech's the better team and I think Virginia Tech is they're obviously way more balanced they have like five players uh averaging double figures they'd be a tougher matchup for Villanova I just think because Villanova's going to shut down Colin Sexton and there's not going to be a lot of other people in Alabama that are going to give you trouble from an offensive end Alabama plays very good defense and I think I touched on it earlier when we were chatting but Alabama Plays very uh, hectic and frenetic. There's a lot of turnovers. They commit a lot of turnovers. It, it's just very, very sort of fast paced and out of control. And, and Villanova could capitalize on that. But that's also not necessarily the way that we play. Uh, I think we like to play a little bit cleaner. There's not that sort of you know wild and reckless style of play. And and, and Sexton's basically you know the leader of that style play. I think he takes like 33 percent of their shots, something like that. Uh, Brendan had written about it in the East preview this morning. But Virginia Tech, I think, would be a challenge for Villanova, their balance. They have five players scoring in double figures and they have very efficient offense. So overall, I think Villanova had a great draw. I think getting to the Sweet 16, my confidence is where it should be for, you know, one seed playing an 8-9. I don't see anything alarming about those initial matchups. And, you know, I think if Villanova plays their game, they can beat anyone, but from, from these four regions, the East is definitely the spot for Villanova. They definitely lucked out.
2: For sure, Catherine. You you absolutely nailed it. I mean, you, you look at the 8 and 9 matchup, like you said, Virginia Tech, balance team, Alabama, basically Colin Sexton. And we were talking in off air a little bit, but the teams that are, that gave Villanova trouble in the past in the second round with UConn, with Shabazz, he had support. In 2015, when NC State, uh, you had Trevor Lacing and Cap Arbor. Like they were both good players, and they had Malik Abdul Abu. Then in 2017, you had Ethan Happ, uh, Action Bronson, and Nigel Hayes all going, all big-time players, all experienced players, and they basically ended Villanova's run. Alabama just has Sexton, and Virginia Tech. I don't, I don't know really much what they got going on there. I know they did have the big upset at Virginia. That was probably that was probably their biggest win of the year. So they do have the propensity to beat these bigger teams. But at the same time, I just don't see it happening. And I think probably the best part of this entire draw is the fact that, yes, it's in Boston, and that's basically the Pavilion North. But at the same time, you look at all these teams, which one of these teams is going to get their fans out there to Boston? And which none of these teams are based on the East Coast at all. Like West Virginia, no. Wichita State, no. Assuming they get there. Florida, maybe they can get their fans up there. I don't know. Texas Tech won't. Arkansas Butler and and then Purdue would probably be the closest one I I, I think you have a pretty big fan base but I, I don't see a, a bunch of fans going out there so it's going to be a home game if Villanova gets to Boston they will all be home games all favoring them and they should they better feed off the the, the energy there, assuming they get out of Pittsburgh which I believe they will but well, yeah I mean I, that's
1: funny that you mentioned that because that was one of the criticisms at least when I was reading you know the reactions and they were saying The ACC has nine, uh, what are they? Nine teams in the tournament, and there's only one of them in the East Region, and it's an eight seed, Virginia Tech. Everybody else got shipped out, and they said, you know, normally the East is a very strong bracket because you have the ACC, which is based here, and you have their high seeds. Typically, they're going to be here, or they're going to be in the South, and the reality is, is they got shipped everywhere but the East, and Virginia Tech is the only ACC team there. They're an eight seed. They're going to probably play Villanova, and that's really the only East Coast team you're going to have, which is unusual when you have such a strong conference like the ACC.
2: Yeah, in that regard, it just shows how favorable a draw Villanova ended up getting.
0: I'm very happy that we're not in the same situation that we were in last year and definitely happy that we're not Virginia. They got it real bad.
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily understand that. It's very curious to me. Uh, the Kentucky-Arizona ma- uh, matchup in the second round is, is strange to me, just because obviously that's a game everybody's going to see. But I would think the committee would have an interest in having both of those teams potentially advancing. So it's very strange to, to put them up against each other. Um, and neither of them – I mean, Arizona, Buffalo – I mean, both of those teams, Davidson and Buffalo, I mean, they're no easy outs either. I mean, as, as far as double-digit seeds go, I mean, Davidson's playing better than I think anyone in the country right now. And Buffalo – has been a strong program for the last you know, five or six years. So I think Kentucky and Arizona will probably get past those teams. Kentucky, I think, will have a tougher time with Davidson. But, but even then, you're going to have one going home, which just doesn't really seem to fit with what the committee normally likes to do. They like to set up those, those sort of human interest pieces or the teams that are going to you know, draw some eyeballs. And having Kentucky and Arizona you know, basically both be eliminated by the end of the weekend, one of, them could be, one of them will be eliminated by the end of the weekend, doesn't really seem to make sense.
0: Yeah, I've joked about it with Chris. There's the S-curve, and then there's the adjusted S-curve for storylines and other interesting <laughs> things that the committee sees.
1: Exactly. Uh, and, I mean, it's just – the also, I had tweeted it yesterday, and a couple of UVA fans got up in my mentions. But uh, I had said that if the selection show didn't kill college basketball, that Virginia-Cincinnati would definitely do it. That might be a game that ends <laughs> 15-13. <laughs> Try it. Um, And you'll be hearing on Twitter, you'll have Rothstein tweeting that UVA basketball is a thing of beauty. Everyone's going to be arguing, you're not a purist if you can't watch this. Isn't this great? I love college basketball. Not sure I could sit through that game, but that's a long way away. Uh, Virginia's got to shake that Villanova narrative that we carried for so long that they can't get past the, the second round or they'll never make a Final Four. So we'll see. Maybe this is their year, but the committee is definitely not doing them any favors with this bracket. Creighton included. I mean, Virginia's second game could be against Creighton. And Villanova knows personally that that Creighton's a tough team.
0: So the Big East is sending six teams to the tournament. Last year we had seven. Only two made it to the second weekend. How do you see it fanning out this year for our beautiful conference?
1: Well, one of the interesting things I saw or I thought immediately when I saw the bracket was the Creighton-Kansas State matchup. Marcus Foster is a Kansas State transfer. So he played at Kansas State. So I think this will be a very interesting matchup. I'm assuming he's going to come out, you know, and try to drop 50 on Kansas State. And it'll be interesting to see if Creighton gets past that, if they have anything left for UVA. But other than that, I think the matchups for the Big East are pretty good. Texas A&M and Providence is an interesting game. Texas A&M has definitely been an up and down team. They were sort of, uh, at the beginning of the year, one of the trendy picks. Um, They started really hot, sort of, you know, slipped up a little bit, but they definitely have the raw talent to, you know, in a single elimination tournament to really give people some trouble. But as we've seen Providence, uh, I mean, the fact they're a 10 seed is an absolute joke. Uh, They're obviously not a 10 seed. So, you know, I think Providence could get past that game. Just looking around the bracket, Seton Hall and NC State is interesting because I don't know people aren't really high on Kansas, which is interesting because there's something like four percent chance that Penn just upsets Kansas. I keep seeing people pick that, which is just hysterical. But you know, beyond that, people have been saying, you know, well Seton Hall, if they get past NC State, like Seton Hall is not going to be an easy out for Kansas, and you know, Seton Hall's got a very veteran team. You're going to have, you know, Angelo Gatto playing down low. Kansas doesn't necessarily, they haven't been healthy down low. They don't really have anyone there to offset him. And, you know, that's not a great matchup for Kansas. Um, Seton Hall has great guard play. You know, I could just see that being a tough game for Kansas. I don't know if I'll, you know, I'll pick an upset for Seton Hall, but that's, that's definitely an interesting game. Butler I think should get past Arkansas. I do think I'll say one thing about the biggie seeds at last, uh, at least. I just feel like they're a little underseeded. I think Providence and Butler are both slightly underseeded Arkansas. Their resume is not too impressive, but, you know, I think Butler can handle them. But, you know, that'll be a good game to watch as well. But overall, I think the Big East in general has, has good uh, got a good draw. I mean, Xavier is going to be in the same boat as Villanova. They're probably, you know, if Missouri can get past Florida State, they're going to have, you know, the must-see matchup of Michael Porter Jr., assuming he plays. I think he will, playing against Xavier. But you're looking at a potential um, Elite Eight matchup or a Sweet 16 matchup. I guess it is between Xavier and Gonzaga and Gonzaga knocked Xavier out of the tournament last year. So that could be a little revenge game for Xavier.
2: Yeah. I'm feeling pretty good about the Big East chances, at least, in, at least in the first couple of days. I mean, obviously I, I think Villanova and Xavier are probably the two most, probably the only two teams that will probably make it to the second weekend. But Hey, look, we have the, the Big East has the opportunity to, to pull up something big here. If C and Hall, like you said, play, that's their way against Kansas. if Delgado can go off and Desi Rodriguez can find the student stroke they they can beat Kansas. I don't know if they will, but they, they definitely could. And Creighton can muck it up with anyone and they can certainly knock off Virginia. So it, it would be, we have the opportunity. The opportunity is there for them to knock off teams, the high end teams, the blue bloods. And it, it would be great to see. I just don't know if I see it happening. I do see at least Villanova and Xavier again in the second weekend and Providence. If they get past A&M, they have to play North Carolina in Carolina. Again, I think this is like again. the third time.
1: They played, the- they definitely played in 2016. And I think they played right. in 2014, the year Providence won the Big East tournament.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, you're right. I think they did. So again, they get hosed <laughs> by the committee. And and I think their true seed Providence was an 8-9, but I think they got knocked down because mm-hmm. the rest of the Big East was yeah. occupying the 8-9. And then you obviously can't put them with Villanova as your 8-9. Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of got hosed there and got knocked down to a 10 and now have to go see North Carolina most likely. it's
1: refreshing not to see Seton Hall shipped to like Portland on like 12 hours notice or to Denver <laughs> on like 10 <laughs> hours notice which they we seem to do to them mm-hmm. um but yeah I mean I think everyone got a pretty good draw the thing about Seton Hall in Kansas too is if Kansas doesn't have Azubuki then there's there's literally nobody to put up against Angel Delgado so that'll be an interesting thing to watch because if he's not playing that's a tough matchup for Kansas I think if he is playing they should be able to get past Seton Hall but Yeah, like you said, I think the possibilities are there. I would say the Providence, North Carolina game would be tough, but I mean, Carolina's had some clunkers this year. I mean, they lost to Wofford at home, and Providence is is playing hot, so you never know. But Xavier is the interesting one to me. uh, At least the immediate reaction, uh, listening to everything today, people they're like the forgotten one seed. Nobody really seems to think they're going to do anything. There seems to be a lot of upsets. You know, whether it's in the second weekend or going to the elite eight. I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see. I was sort of on Eugene's page where I were looking at, you know, Xavier, not knowing they were Xavier, not knowing that the committee, you know, put them as one, not knowing where they're, you know, I think they're ranked. They're not even ranked that high in Ken Palm, but you know, the eye test, which I don't really necessarily rely on. I'll just say, I'm just like looking for my reference. Xavier's 14 in Ken Palm right now. And they're a one seed, but just in general, I haven't really been impressed by Xavier. The games that I've watched. I, I just, think they have these periods where they let these lesser teams sort of get back into games and it takes them a while to get their head back into it and then a lot of times you know they'll put the games away but but they've had games this year where they've been down double digits to teams that they should be you know blowing the doors off and I just think that there's something, whether it's like a mental lapse or they sort of just take their foot off the gas. Sometimes you see it with Villanova, but definitely not as much as you see it with Xavier. And I just think that's a recipe for disaster when you get into the tournament and you're playing against these teams that really want nothing more than to send you home. And I just think, I worry, Xavier just looks like they have the type of team that's going to get clipped. And, and I hope it doesn't happen because I really want the Big East to, to advance the 2-1 seeds as far as possible. Obviously not to the expense of Villanova, but I just like, there's something about Xavier that, I just, I mean, we just saw it happen again with Providence and, and Providence, you know, almost beat Villanova. That game was close. So nothing, you know, against Providence, but you know, Xavier had the chance to put that game away and they let another team get back into it. And I just think that in a 40 minute game in the tournament, that's a recipe to go home early. And I just have not been convinced by what I've watched from Xavier. They've had a few impressive games, but I don't know. There, there's been some question marks.
2: Yeah. You were a big proponent of, uh, Xavier being a team that could be clipped just because I I saw you were highlighting, uh. Their, their luck rating according to Ken Palm I think they were like one first in the nation like throughout the entire year until recently they like dropped down to two three but they they have that weird case of being uh
1: they're number playing... nine in luck right now <laughs> oh
2: wow wow they drop yeah. they dropped significantly but yeah but it just shows that they're a really lucky team they they always play down the competition like you said but they also don't play up to the competition I feel like when they mm-hmm. especially against Villanova that ever so prominent there so yeah, they, they do really have, have a
1: good offense. They don't play great defense. Right. Um, I just there's just something about them that I'm just not really convinced. And to be honest, I was I don't know if I would have put them as a one seed. I definitely thought the conversation as to whether Xavier should be a one seed before it got to the point where, you know, Duke was potentially going to win their conference tournament. And if that happened, maybe they'd push Xavier out before there became like another team. And people were just sort of speaking very conclusory about Xavier being a one seed. It was surprising to me because I just really didn't think that that's like what they looked like to me. And I guess you look at their record. I mean, they won the Big East, but I, I don't know. I mean, they got smoked by Villanova and twice and I just feel like when you you watch them there's just something missing they're never sort of playing as good as they should be and I just feel like that's going to be a problem and I don't know who it will be but if you get an instance where you know Xavier's you know in Missouri sight lines and Porter can just I don't know go off I mean it's dangerous because if Xavier can't put these teams away you're just sort of opening it up and you're just opening it up for a disaster um I hope it doesn't happen but I wouldn't be surprised
0: it's pretty early in the week so I'm pretty sure you guys haven't officially filled out your bracket yet but Gut shot. How far do you have Villanova going?
1: This is always tough. I'm going to say Final Four. I I mean, I might have them going further. i would have to look and see who else I put there. I do think they can win the national championship, but I think Final Four is a very real goal to have. I don't think they're – we said it today on V Hoops. There's no excuse at this point. You, you, the bracket's there. It's favorable to us. There's no reason Villanova shouldn't be able to beat every single one of these teams. Obviously, there's no guarantees. It's a one – you know, single elimination tournament, things can happen. But I mean, if things go according to plan, which they rarely do, but if they do Villanova should be able to get to the final four, no problem. And I think that eventually we're going to have to get to the point where the talent and the level that we can play at is going to have to speak for itself. And there's no excuses this time. We're healthy. We don't have a bad draw. We're not getting shipped off, you know, to the West or the Midwest. I mean, it's there. We got everything we needed. We got everything we wanted. And now it's just time to execute. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say Final Four. I'm confident. I'm not booking my tickets yet, but I don't see any reason why they can't get there.
2: Yeah, with this uh, favorable draw, I'm very likely to put them in the Final Four. I'm, I'm thinking that's probably best not best case, but obviously, but I, I think that's realistic at this point to to assume. And if they do get to the Final Four, it's most likely they face one of Kansas, Michigan State, or Duke, which would be absolutely great. And then if you could beat them, that would that would really shut all the uh, the purists the blue blood purists up so that, that would be a fun matchup there but obviously got to get through this first weekend <laughs> as we all know so but yes final four it's funny because a lot
1: of the, the talk about the brackets have been that villanova could potentially have a harder road once it gets past the second weekend i don't necessarily feel that way i feel like virginia tech alabama one of those two teams that could be a, a tough game for Villanova, but I feel like Villanova would eviscerate West Virginia and Wichita State. Um, I just feel like they, the press would not be as successful against a team like Villanova that passes the ball and shoots as well as Villanova does. And Wichita State doesn't play defense. So I, I think those matchups, should that come, that would almost be a game I'd feel more confident about than you know a balanced, low-possession, low-scoring team like Virginia Tech or you know, just a potential superstar in Colin Sexton. I'll, I'd rather take a West Virginia-Wichita State matchup at this point. I just don't think Villanova is going to have as ma- as many question marks. I guess going into that matchup with the Virginia Tech-Alabama game, I'm not really sure what to expect. But you know what West Virginia is. Jay Wright knows what Bob Huggins does, and with Wichita State, they their defense is just so terrible that you know Villanova but offense even on a worse night is just going to be able to take advantage of it.
2: Yeah, from a matchup perspective, I I probably rather face Wichita because just because of the no defense factor. Uh-huh. And I the press does scare me a little bit because we do have a problem in bounding the ball at some <laughs> case, at some points in the game especially when someone in particular has the ball. But remain the either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah lives. But we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there yeah. and I and look, I know not one game makes an entire team and it was real early in the season, but West Virginia struggled against Marist on a neutral mm-hmm. court. And that was, and, and Marist got absolutely beaten by the press. Like they got destroyed and beaten down and they still were within a bucket, like the entire game. So look, I'm, I, West Virginia does scare me a bit, but I'd rather face what I'd rather face Wichita, but I, I think they should, shouldn't have that big of a problem in that sweet 16 matchup potentially.
1: Mm-hmm. And there does seem to be a little bit of a, a I guess I'll say like a rising you know, murmur that Purdue might not make it out of their end of the bracket. So the idea of Villanova-Purdue to go to Final Four might not even be possible. So we'll see who gets out of that lower half. Like I said, I think Texas Tech is a a sexy pick based on just that a lot of people thought they were going to be, you know, like a top five team coming into the tournament, but they stumbled a little bit down the stretch. Uh, They did have injuries, but uh, now they're getting healthy again, just like Villanova. So it'll be interesting to see if they end up getting out of that bottom half.
0: Well, it's that time of the day where we dive into the mailbag, open up, and take a look at all your questions. As always, you can tweet us at S-O-N-N pod with anything you want us to talk about. We literally mean anything. We've been about beavers. We've talked about platypuses. We've talked about Villanova basketball. We've talked about all other conferences. So please, you know, ask whatever you want, and we will get to it. We do have a couple of questions. This first one is from Jerry Quinn, our guy. How likely are you willing to bet your entire 401k balance on Villanova advancing to the sweet 16?
1: Well, I think Jerry's definitely overestimating what my 401k balance is. Not that big of a decision for me. Um, I, uh, yeah, sure. Why not? I would bet it. it. Like I said before, I, normally I try to convince myself that, you know, if it doesn't happen, it's because of this, or there's someone to blame or, you know, there's some factor that we can't control. I mean, this is basically as good as it could possibly look for us. And if we don't execute, that's going to really be the only reason that, you know, we don't go as far as we, we should be going. So yeah, I'm pretty confident, probably more confident that I've been the past few years. Cause like I said, there's always been sort of a wrinkle where you've, you know, looked and been like, wow, that's not ideal. That might backfire. You know, why are we going there? Why aren't we here? How are they in eight seed? You know, the same old, but this seems pretty fair. Everything seems to, to be falling into place. So yeah, I'll take any bets.
2: Yeah. Catherine, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I no excuses this time around. Everything's pretty favorable. You, you got to do it this time around. You have to. It's, it, these teams aren't world beaters. They, there's no matchup nightmare potentially. There's Sexton's only one guy. You got to do it. So uh, sure, take my 401k balance. Give it to the Vegas bookies and, and let's, <laughs> let's re- let it ride.
0: Don't even know if I have much of a 401k balance, <laughs> but I will bet my entire Wells Fargo bank account and say that this team will make the sweet 16 at least. Yeah. This next question is from Henry. He's a little worried. He wants to know which round of thirty-two team would be a bigger threat. Slash, which one would make a more compelling matchup?
1: Compelling is an interesting word because compelling implies that it would be a close, exciting game, and that's the last thing I want to see. Um, I'll say, I'll say, I think Virginia Tech is the better team. They are. Not as slow as Virginia, but they do play a more deliberate pace. They, they run they, you know they have long possessions, they don't score a lot of points. They like to keep the game low scoring. That's the type of team that traditionally can give Villanova some issues. Virginia Tech obviously is not at the level that I think is a major issue for Villanova, but it's definitely like a pace of play and a style of play that Villanova is going to want to try to reverse and, and try to drive the pace because Virginia Tech's not necessarily going to be giving them much to work with. Like I said before, Alabama plays a little more loosey-goosey. They play a little bit more out of control. They're prone to a lot of turnovers, but they do play good defense. Um, I think the better team is Virginia Tech. The more compelling matchup would obviously be, I think, Alabama because people are going to want to see Colin Sexton go up against Jalen Brunson and potentially Mikkel Bridges, uh, Phil Booth. You know, however, Jay decides to deal with him from a defensive perspective. So I think I'd rather play Alabama. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I, I just think I'm at the point where I'd rather try to shut down one guy or just withstand one guy as opposed to, you know, an older, more balanced team that that definitely has a style of play that's not necessarily conducive to the Villanova style. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's a, it's basically a wash. I think Villanova could handle either team. Virginia Tech, I think, is a little bit more of a challenge. Alabama's, you know, you've got your your mission sort of set out for you is to shut down Colin Sexton. And based on what we've seen, Alabama has some really bad losses and they've had some games where, you know, their play is just, you know, entirely questionable. You've wondered how they even made the tournament if you watch some of these early games. So I, I think Alabama is a better matchup than Villanova, but um, more compelling as well because you got Sexton. So I guess that's my initial read.
2: With regards to Virginia Tech, yes, you're, you're completely right. They are definitely the more experienced team, the more balanced team, and they're definitely the better team. And they do have that big win against Virginia, as I had mentioned earlier. So that does scare me a little bit because they do know how to knock off the big boys. And also their coach is Buzz, is, is Buzz Williams. And mm. I, I think a lot of people are overlooking that because he, he did have a lot of good matchups against Jay in the old, older Big East when he was around before the breakup. And I think, I think he was mm. there for the first year post- Uh, breakup, but, but so he, he, those late 2000s Marquette's teams, they did a number on Villanova and they, they they certainly had their win. So he definitely knows how to coach against Jay Wright, but at the same time, I would rather face Alabama just, and yes, they would uh, show a more compelling matchup with Sexton and all that with Sexton against Brunson and that whole narrative there. And, but the thing that is a little scary, and I saw it in the Slack chat today that I forgot who, who brought it up, but Alabama has a pretty good three point defense. I think it's like 33%, 32%. But as Eugene uh, showed me earlier today, the, the last time Villanova went up against a similar type team in the tournament was, was Iowa. And Villanova absolutely wrecked them in 2016. So that alleviated my fears a little bit. So I think they'll be all right.
0: Yeah, Virginia Tech definitely presents the bigger threat. I mean, they have some really big wins. They've beaten Duke. They've beaten UNC. They've beaten Clemson, Virginia. They have some great wins. They also have some head scratchers. But they're definitely the bigger threat in terms of how experienced, balanced they are, just as you guys said. But yeah, I would love to see them play Alabama just because of Colin Sexton versus Jalen Brunson, or whoever Jay decides to, however he decides to deal with that. The three-point defense does scare me a little bit. They are a top twenty defense according to Ken Palm, and they do a great job of shutting down the three-point line. But as Chris said, that might be a product of just SEC basketball. I, I I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I don't think there are exactly a lot of sharp-shooting SEC teams. Maybe I'm overlooking somebody, but there's not really anyone that comes to mind.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's sort of that, I want to say, a myth based in fact. and The articles I've read about it that I can't really recall right now, but there's sort of an idea that three-point defense is a myth and that the three-point defense is basically just a product of the three-point shooting of the people that you're playing. And the reality is that developing an actual three-point defense is not – really as effective as it would seem because it's coming at an expense of your two point defense. And the reality is, is basically three point defense is just closeout speed. So to the extent that Alabama, like we've said before, they play great defense. They're long, they're lean, they're very athletic. Uh, Yeah. Their closeout speed is going to be great, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, unbeatable three point defense. I think Villanova with their pump fakes and, you know, the experienced players in the ball movement basically negates that. You know, when you're dealing with a team with teams in the SEC that maybe don't move the ball as well as Villanova or shoot the three as well as Villanova, you know, you have frantic closeout speed. I mean that that can just carry you as three point defense. But I think Villanova's too experienced for that to be the difference maker. I mean it, it could be a challenge. Like like I said, they play great defense and they're very athletic. But all in all, I don't see that as being something that Villanova can't scheme against uh, and pretty much negate. There
0: you have it. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the state of the Nova nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcasts, iTunes, Google play or podomatic. Always check back at ViewHoops.com. We have a lot of great content going on right now about the men's and women's NCAA tournament previews, recaps, and just a few stories leading up to this first weekend. You can follow View Hoops on social media at View Hoops, and that's good for Twitter and Instagram. We had a couple of nice things going on. I learned how to post the IG story. So uh, there are a few nice stories from this past weekend. So definitely check those out on Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay at E Repay5.
2: And you can follow me, Chris Stanzial
0: at The Stands Man on
2: Twitter.
1: Uh, yeah, and if you want to follow me, I'm CM Ryan624.
0: Catherine, thank you again for joining the show and giving us your time to talk to us about Sunday and the Big East Tournament.
1: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Nova Nation, have a good Tuesday. Thursday, will be here before you know it, and we can finally tip off the NCAA Tournament. Hopefully, when it's all said and done, we can hear something similar to this.
1: Three seconds to go across the timeline. Two seconds to go.
2: Jenkins, three. Right wing to win it. He made it! He made the three!
0: the ball once again.